Uber spins off Uber Freight as a separate business unit. The Toys R Us bankruptcy leaves retailers anxious to pick up the slack before the holiday shipping season. Maersk and IBM take their blockchain platform live as they seek additional partners. And we discuss the shipbreaking industry where workers die on the shores of Bangladesh. I'm JP. And I'm Chad. And we talk about all this and more on this week's episode of What the Truck. What's up, man? Hey, man. It's great to be here with you again for episode, what is it, 23? I'm losing track. Yeah, here we are. And I think all but one time, we weren't even together, you've had Bell's Too Hearted for your beer. That's what I'm drinking right now. Dear, dear me. What have you got, Uh, Chad? Bless your heart. You're Uh, so... so You know, high and mighty with I'm your with your, with your just, varied beverage consumption. I, <laughs> I said how it feels. I'm sorry, dude. I didn't mean to make you feel that way. Um, but yes, I am trying to have a new thing every now and again. And today, today's uh, version, actually, kudos to Barry, Silent Barry over there, uh, brought us. The real MVP. Uh, brought me. That's right. Uh, a strange brew, shall we Ooh. say. Um, it have is you ever seen I, that movie, by the way? Strange brew. It's, no, it's, it's a song. It's right? a, yeah, it's a song, but it's also a great movie. It's a, Strange it's a, Brew by Cream. I knew that. It's a comedy about uh, some beer loving um, oh. Wisconsinites, I believe. Well, Any, it makes anyway, sense. We'll, we've got to see. We've got to check that out after yeah. this podcast. Um, so this is. It's called. It's from a Kennesaw Brewery. Um, specifically, the brewery is Georgia. Georgia, the Burnt Hickory Brewery, um, and it's. But this is really cool. It's called Driving and Crying, and it is straight to hell. Mystery Road IPA. Now that when you read that, um, you sort of were a little amused because that those <laughs> random phrases mean something to you. Can you explain <laughs> the name of this? You don't beer? know the band Driving and Crying from Athens, Georgia. They were a '90s sensation. And uh, they, I mean, I know, they I know, still play live to this day. I know Outkast, Lil John, Migos, you know, all the important you know three, people you know from... Th- three people? That's, I know that's all the good. important people from from Atlanta. Oh, funny. Um, and okay. You, so anyway, are you going to open that thing? Well, let's... I'm having... Well, there there it go. is. Okay. Wow, that is good stuff. And it kind of just explodes when you open it. All, like, um, all of them do or just when you like shake it? The, the last... The last too that um <laughs> anyway it's got a fu- nice. it's got a funny like uh it's got a funny like <sighs> soury kind of taste it's surprising for an ipa anyway um it is what is fun to set us on our way to discuss some really sensational um, material that we um have published today uh or this week freight waves by the way I really want to just encourage our listening uh, audience to uh, check out all of the content constantly coming out of Freight Waves. We can barely cover it now. Uh, I mean, this is a curated, um, oh, you, yeah. know, like, you know, like, stack of articles. Like uh, in the early days, we were covered. We were talking about you know basically the most important stories of the week. Now I think t- so today in the office we publish like eight things before like eleven a.m. Like. Like, but we've got a bunch of our new writers featured, some old hands. We've got 
I think a pretty diverse selection of our, you know, our, our media offerings. And uh, the very first one that you mentioned, Uber spins off Uber Freight. Uh, Brian Strait, managing editor Brian Strait, brought this one to us. They bring back Lior Run from the Auto Days. Yeah. Uh, tell us a little bit about the background of uh, of, of of Ron Lior. Ron. Interesting move. Yeah. So Ron, uh, you know. Uh, was a co-founder of Auto in 2016 or 15. I don't know. It was, it was a short-lived company. Oh, yeah. With Lewandowski? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, or Lewandowski, something Levendowski, like that. Lewandowski, um, that sounds like it. And so Ron came from Google Maps, and the other guy came from you know sort of the Waymo side of things. Right. They start auto trucks. They do, a, you know... Um, they work on it for you know around six months, I think, before Uber, only six months before Uber acquires them for over six hundred and fifty million dollars. That's a that's a chunk of change for six months. And I remember too, not bad work if you can get it. Right? Uh, wow to to be on in that on that company like early on, right? Um, but I uh, I was thinking. Uh, it was in Colorado. There was this much hyped uh, auto self-autonomous, you know, beer delivery that they made right. for Anheuser Busch. Right, right. Uh, and we we got to see the first auto. And I think that might have contributed to the the stunt of what kind of came not so longer after. I, I guess it was a stunt. I mean, yeah. I mean, they. You know, it's it's in- interesting to me because. They, you know, so they shut down the self-driving truck thing, transferred those uh, resources over to self-driving cars, insisted to us all last week that they were maintaining Uber Freight as is. Turns out, if you read Brian Strait's article, he got some exclusive interviews. Um, you know, it turns out they were actually spinning off the business. So yeah, Uber Freight's not going anywhere, but it's not going to be part, it's, gonna, it's not going to be part of the IPO next year. So well, well, right, yeah. To 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 jump but, right but what, to the story itself. Well, what I think yeah. is interesting is that you know, Leo Ron was on the mapping side, right? He's on the. Right. And if you think about Uber, you know, it's all about maps, right? It's all about hmm. it's all about yeah. you know where you yeah. you can visualize where the car is coming to pick you up. Then that that transfers directly over to routing for the car. You know, once you pick the destination, the Uber is telling. The driver where to go so like the mapping thing kind of works for uber freight it makes sense you know what's well, interesting I think it's really cool too to add to just like uber freight um has been really responsive to our first reporting that you and mariah covered earlier last week and then we briefly we briefly talked about the right, story and they've right. done they've been really cool about reaching out to us clarifying um their i guess uh they admitted to you know a little lack of clarity about you know what what they were doing and right. and now that it has become clear we're getting an exclusive interview on it and I, I just really think that that's that's cool of them um and and I, I I agree with I think that this is they should have they should spin this off and you know they've just since May 2017 Uber Freight has um like it's in every single state and it's tripled its staff size in 15 months and its load volume, I think, has du- has been doubling every quarter. Yeah, yeah, it's been doubling a lot. You know, the one thing that they won't tell you that everyone wants to know is okay. what what their net revenue is. Oh, because right. Because they're it's they're dumping money into it. 
you know, growing it fast, you know, but, um, you know, there's not, hasn't been a whole lot of guidance from them as to when that business will become profitable or what, 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 when it'll reach its goal. In any I ca- know they will not answer your in tough case, journalist questions. Yeah, but it's, you know, Uber is interesting. They have a kind of a love-hate relationship with the media. They know that they have PR problems with lots of enemies, whether it's taxi companies, whether it's urban planners, whether it's, um, you know, public transit authorities, et cetera, et cetera. It yeah, the news, I think. Labor the, people. You just know, take, take for instance, what we're not even talking about with just Uber and caps, you know, New caps York. On, on, yeah, yeah exactly. capping, capping their uh, fleet size to, I've heard different estimates, but I saw a couple of times, 65,000 total vehicles uh, that Uber has licensed in New York. And that's capped for a year, apparently, along yeah. with the taxis. We'll see how that goes. Good luck with that. And uh, but but good luck to um, to 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 Uber Freight and Lior Ron um, right back, back at the direction. helm. Yeah, yeah. We'll see. We'll see. You know, kind of where Uber Freight is able to take its place among the you know other well capitalized, uh, technologically advanced brokerages that are already in the space. Well said. Well said. Uh, Ibrahim Bayan, our chief economist, uh, covered a very interesting story. I thought this uh this week about it's it's fun i mean are toys a commodity is it a commodity story yeah toys are oh, yeah, us for sure you know like yeah i mean gi joe is a commodity who knew uh but toys are us the bankruptcy leaving uh re as he wrote leaving retailers anxious to pick up the slack um like what? Yeah, like let's let's hash this out. Let's think about this. So there's some like wh- I think a surprising thing that our listeners would be would be surprised to hear is that when Toys R Us went bankrupt, they were still a huge player in the oh, retail yeah. market, yeah, selling billions of dollars of toys a year. Even the online market, where they yeah. were behind the curve. Yeah, they had over a billion dollars in online sales. Right, right, um, as, and as, so they shut reports. down, and they shut down. Over 700, you know, quite large brick and mortar locations. Yeah. Right. And so I think they were number what, 73 in the, in the, in the national register of, you know, of, um, of retailers, uh, even in that, in the year that they went bankrupt, number 73 out of the top 100. Yeah. That's, that's massive. Um, and what's so interesting about Ibrahim Bayan taking on this story is that he used to be a UPS's chief economist, right? That's right. And so he was always, writing memos for their executives explaining how you know what the latest government data in on x you know sector means for ups's business and parcel carriers and things like that and so and another important interesting dot to connect in getting to that is is just how all the pressure that was on last year's logistics yeah um, yeah in e-commerce yeah it was crazy i mean both ups and fedex badly underestimated the volumes that they were committed to handle in the 2017 holiday shipping season and you know who this to me is the fun thing to think about they they're they were stressed i mean their yes their networks were definitely uh shook um and so it's almost like the idea is like if they underestimated it in 2017 (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you know, and you know, you think about toy, you think about Toys R Us, you think about toys, you think about Christmas. Yeah, 
Like there's a big hole. It's the holiday season. That's, that's got to go somewhere. Yeah. And if it, if if it's, so, if half of their sales migrate online, like that's here's that's just I accelerating suggest. the growth of e-commerce even faster than I'm sure. You know. Well, let's let's just cut to the chase and tell what the truck listeners what they need to anticipate. Go ahead and buy Christmas now. <laughs> okay, like it can be Christmas in August for you. Like get ahead of the curve. Don't be thinking about it. Get your stuff on time. Yeah, don't be counting on, you know, two-day shipping, you know, the week before Christmas. It's going to be insane this year. It, 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 it will be, and I, I, I think. I mean, part of the fun thing to think about, um, or I would answer, is who is there going to be? a retailer of some kind that really does pick up some of this because one of the things that Ibrahim uh, uh, um, pointed out in his article was that a lot of the shoppers that would go to the retail stores of Toys R Us were going there because they wanted to go there. They didn't want to go online. And of course, many of them will naturally have to migrate online. But where will that demographic, that part of the population that just would rather get their toys in person, where are they going? I know Walmart has a lot of toys. I know even Barnes and Noble and, and bookstore retailers have gotten into that game a lot more than would meet the eye. Yeah. But where can it be picked up? Target? Like... I don't, I don't know. know. I, yeah, it's it's gonna be really know. it's gonna be fascinating because all of that money is definitely gonna go somewhere. Um, well, anyway, it's a fun, uh, fun, fascinating logistical thing to think about. Um, we also um, are going to cover, uh, you know, while we cover all things, whether they're e-commerce and retail or, you know, the, the tech startups, rail often today, we're hitting maritime. Uh, b- big time. I think this is a significant story. Uh, Maersk and IBM getting in to, with their own blockchain platform. What, what, do, what do you think about what's going on here? Um, you know, it's really interesting because it's, you know, there are a couple of different ways to read this story. But just, you know, the basic, the background is uh, IBM and Maersk have been working on blockchain for over a year. And they, I, I remember they actually did a study where on a shipment of flowers from central from that's a, right. central Africa to the port of Rotterdam in the Netherlands. Wait, Belgium? Belgium? Netherlands? Anyway, the port of Rotterdam. And basically, they were just doing a study on the inefficiencies of all of this international freight forwarding and all of the documents and the 30-odd times the shipment changed hands and how difficult it was. They were, what they were trying to do was measure like what could the... ROI for a blockchain platform B. Where are the inefficiencies, et cetera, et cetera? They've they been found beta them, testing it. So they beta tested been it. Partnering for a while, and now their uh, blockchain platform Trade Lens That's is, right. is live. And Trade Lens is what they're calling it, um, and it they've been is, joined by ninety-four companies, including you know, uh, you know, Hamburg Sud, uh, which is actually which was you know purchased by Maersk. So that's no. You know, real um, um, surprise yeah. there, but that you know, our, it's, um, I, I, I read I read this yeah. in two ways, right? Yeah, this, this sort of announcement it came across on okay. PR Newswire, and we did a little digging, and and um, actually, Michael Angel, our new intermodal writer, um, ended up um, covering this for us, right. and 
so you can read it two ways. The first way is that it's a triumphant announcement. Boom, we did it. We have the platform in place. We have 94 partners, et cetera, et cetera. The other way to read it is, okay, we've got this thing. The scope is really limited. We need many, many, many more partners, right, to join it. Because when you think about, like, blockchain um, really bringing visibility and efficiencies to the supply chain, you almost, by nature, it's so collaborative. Everyone has to be on it. There you go. I think work, you're. I think right? you're, you're nailing it. I talked to Mike. Um, you know about about the article, asking him what you know, kind of his thoughts, and uh, he he said, you know, I do think it's significant that there's. He, I think some ninety organizations. You've said ninety four, but um, however many that that's significant. But he but then he said, but. Um, a lot of them are like APM, ter- APM terminals, and they're a part of Mariscal uh, Ready. Um, so there is that that aspect. There's some that are already a part of, and they have to be a part of this. Um, but then I think just basically what it's it's the reason this is big is because these are big, huge companies doing this so they have a lot of influence in the supply chain right, right. but it is the same old story with blockchain of this is you've got to have potentially competing partners of some level some people who might want a little less transparency and visibility to cooperate and collaborate and until you have all points of the supply chain visible it's really hard to have a i don't know if it's coherent or cohesive but a complete end-to-end um, solution yeah yeah uh, to really have an end-to-end blockchain solution they would have to bring in i would think orders of magnitude more to people. reach a critical mass. We, we talked you talked about the flower study you know the flowers change hands 30 times that's just one that. or one, even hundreds in the case of some food if we go to that it's um, one shipment one commodity one lane at least 30 parties would have to be on the blockchain for it to be totally however in. even with the, all of that complexity said i think actually though it can be as simple as like a four or five step solution right like if we're trying like it can i don't know all the exact points but that's what i've heard between like it can go through about just four or five may overall steps it depends on what you're trying to do with blockchain you know chris kirchner from slink would say that ibm is trying to boil the ocean with blockchain and get it to do everything uh, he doesn't personally think that that's like a valuable use or an efficient use of the technology um yeah you know, we'll and see. I, they, they've yeah, and he's talked about how it's hard to get cooperative collaborative partners for a blockchain as well um, the other the food only, traceability the only, the only other thing i would say about this is that it is very interesting that they were able to reduce the transit time on a shipment in oh, their, yeah, the their pilot by by 40 percent which is you know potentially massive i mean if you can move something forty percent faster, you can charge a lot more for it. Um, and you know, you, but that's you know, Another, again with yeah. blockchain. That's the difference between a controlled corporate overseen <laughs> pilot. Yeah, yeah. With, like in theory, know, it could do this, right? Yeah, but you'd you have know, to get so many people on board if you're a marriage. You know what? Though I am cheering for it. I think it's going to happen. Um, and 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 Mike mentioned. Um, you know, of course, they, they haven't even connected with two of the biggest port operators 
uh, Hutchison and Costco that they right. would they, right. they, they 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 you know like yes I it's it's still it is risky it's risky IBM and Maersk here could be kind of left holding you know like the the, the torch or something alone and Hold, not holding able, the bag yeah yeah um, not able to co- completely um, make all the connections but you would think that in the end this. It seems like it's inevitable in some level that and I've heard, you know, and and I think part of the uh, people's hesitation to join this project and to join TradeLens and to really build it into their business models is that then all of a sudden you've let this proprietary technology, essentially created by IBM, you're lacing it through your system, and you know you're probably not going to be able to extricate yourself out of that without without a lot of of cost, and so. You know, we I, I would I would compare this to you know Bitta, the Blockchain right. Transport Alliance, which is taking a little bit longer to roll out data standards, but it's actually true collaboration with you know That's lots right. of lots of competitors and um, a bro- lot of cooperation with what four hundred and fifty some. Yeah, uh, and I've even heard it rumors companies. that the IBM Maersk partnership uh, is not all that it seems, and that okay. Maersk actually is kind of regretting locking themselves in with IBM in this way, oh. becoming beholden to them. Well, maybe IBM we'll see where this should go. join Bitta. We'll see where this goes. Well, <laughs> they, they, I think they they were they, going to, but they couldn't sign off oh. on the the intellectual property um, stuff because Bitta Bitta members and especially Bitta um, board yeah. members have to agree that any uh, oh, standards or protocols that, makes sense. that are created in BIDA have to remain open and can't be patented. Yes, and that's what I, I, IBM wouldn't do. So they, they describe their platform as open, but it's... Uh, they do, and that's what we said in the article. Yeah, that's well, no, we said do. that they said it's open. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. That's what we said. That's right. And I think that's probably the right way to go for go with it because we don't actually have... Um, a lot of details into into you know how the the sort of structure of their protocol. Fascinating, fascinating stuff, and 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 sort of more along the um, the social lines of there is um, the whole industry with sh- with ship breaking uh, that that you know materialized sort of began in the sixties. Bangladesh uh, caught a corner uh, of that market. Um, that where you know these gigantic ships that have to go somewhere to die and you know they, they can be they can be recycled in in Bangladesh uh, it's a dangerous place to work it's where um, many of the poorest uh, come to work people who can't find jobs in northern Bangladesh uh, migrate down to to the south and I remember so it's been going on since the 60s yeah has only really seen international attention since the 90s and i remember uh, seeing image you know photographs of these shipbreakers in national geographic oh, when really? i was a kid in the 90s yeah and it's exactly what you would imagine it's a huge <laughs> rusted out carcass of a ship yeah driven and, and, aground onto a beach and then all these people swarm onto it with wow. like with like um and just start hammering away at it well, no, they like, have. I'm imagining they, they have cranes like, and things ripping it apart. No, it's not cranes. It's like, it's it's, it's like that. it's like dudes with like acetylene torches that are just cutting it apart, <sighs> like oh. as they're on it and, just like, and dismantling it. That's no why so, wonder there've been 14 deaths reported this year alone. Yeah, yeah. Even with the new standards they put in place, it's very very dangerous. I mean, it'd be very, like very very dangerous. 
Um, China's doing something to get involved in this, or, or, or are they, do... yeah, I mean, you know, it's what what Bangladesh and they're working with some NGOs. What they're trying to do is basically create safety standards and encourage companies that want to recycle their ships. Yeah, they've been doing that. Um, you know, to comply with these to make sure that they send the ships to areas where workers are going to be safe, where they have you know, proper equipment. That sort of thing. Um, they've they've created new regulations that the uh, all of the onboard debris of the ship has to be removed. You know, but it's it's you know it's well. It's, this is this was a part of it I, that I um, took away from uh, Vishnu's uh, um, coverage of this. He said, apart from Bangladesh, countries like India, Pakistan, and China also process ship scrap. But Beijing, China, is now looking to stop further activities in ship recycling in accordance with its new environmental protection laws. And, uh, you know, oh, there's, that's there's, interesting. there's a 2020 IMO sulfur cap regulation yep, that's about yep, to go. Yep. It's going to render many ships unusable. So where are ships yeah. going to go to die, as they would say? Yeah, and, and, and so that's that's what's so interesting, you know, like... The, the, you know, Vishnu's sort of lead in this story was kind of saying, like, okay, so we know that, like, rates for tanker ships crashed this year. You know, oh, right. That been is super right. Low. Yeah. And so people have just been trying to remove capacity from the market by recycling the ships. Um, if this, if, you know, when these um, new fuel regs hit, which are basically going to force ships to either, yeah. or force lines was- to either install these expensive scrubbers to remove the sulfur from the emissions or, you know, recycle the ship or, you know, switch to, you know, some other kind of fuel source, um, like LNG, like when that hits, there could be another wave of, you know, another surge of of ships to be recycled, delivered to the shores of Bangladesh. And, you know, usually when there's some kind of bonanza like that, you know, the regulations fall by the wayside, people get hurt, people, there's scramble for the money. And I wanted to add that, I mean, so from a humanitarian point of view, it would be like, let's make sure that more regulations go into place so it's not as brutal of a uh, climate and culture as it is. Yeah, I mean, we want to make sure that like the workers are, you know, really you know, capturing value from what they're doing, um, you know, sort of in accordance with the, you know, the, the, the risks that they're taking and the work that they're doing. You know, we want to make sure that like these maritime carriers are being responsible with how they dispose of their equipment. You know, there's there's lots of issues at play. I, I can it's a pretty imagine. interesting article. Um, it is. Yeah. And yeah. So all of these articles can bring you in depth a little bit more uh, from our brief coverage of them right now. Uh, and speaking of brief coverage, we're about to tackle eight headlines in under two minutes. What? Let's destroy this like we did last week, JP. Uh, are you ready? We're going to begin with you, JP. Got to begin with you. Okay? okay, so another rousing round of big deal, little deal. Here we go. VWAG could recall 124,000 electric and hybrid cars due to poisonous cadmium. Big deal or little deal? Yeah, it's a huge deal. Are you kidding me? I mean, all of the, the metals involved with electric and hybrid uh, cars, you know, just, it's, it's, it's a big deal. Redwood announces cross-border supply chain solution to simplify shipping to and from Mexico. 
It's a big deal. Um, the Mexico trade is huge, and any piece they can grab of it and make money off of, uh, you know, is great for their growth story. XBO's last mile business putting down its first facility in Canada. Big deal or little deal? I'd say it's a little deal. They already have 71 extant last mile uh, facilities, but this is the first one in Canada. You know, kind of interesting, but wow. little, little deal. Nicola raises $100 million in August, anticipates oversubscribed Series C. Big deal or little deal? It's a big deal. Um, the round's about halfway over, and we're waiting to hear from Nicola uh, who the investors are and what the terms were. Women make better drivers than men, so why aren't there more during a capacity crunch? Big deal or little deal? Big deal! Let's get women on the road, solve this capacity crunch, and have fewer accidents. Retaliatory tariffs sour the U.S. cranberry market. Big deal or little deal? (laughs) Big deal! If we all get replaced with raisins, we're sunk! Rising transportation costs um, and the Brazil trucking strike put pressure on Kellogg's profit margins. Big deal or little deal? Little deal, but interesting the creative ways Kellogg's is finding to move product in a time of high freight rates and thin margins. A strong quarter for 3PL expediters, but ocean freight shows some weakness. Big deal or little deal? Volatile pricing, excess capacity, high fuel costs, little deal. We got it! We did it! Yay! Yay! All right, man. It must have been the driving and crying. I feel like I've been through a lot with you now, JP. Uh, Wow. Way to tackle some serious headlines of the week. Yeah, that was that was really fun, man. So we are back at the McLeod CFO Conference at the Westin in Nashville. I'm JP. I'm Zach. And we're here with Robert Brothers, the manager of product development at McLeod Software. Hey, Robert, thanks for coming on the podcast. Oh, thanks for having me on. I appreciate you taking time to do it. So we're going to do um, five good minutes, and we're just going to ask you a couple of questions about um, the new product that you guys are launching. Um, so tell me about Capacity Creator. So Capacity Creator is a new product that we're developing to allow us to take unstructured email data of available capacity that brokers receive every day in their inbox and turn that into structured data that they can act on. So if I'm a, uh, a carrier salesperson, I get dozens of emails from carriers we work with that says, I've got a truck in Atlanta and I've got one in Nashville, I've got one in Dallas, but that goes in my inbox. Very hard then for me to remember, okay, oh, I got a truck in Dallas that this guy sent me. What Capacity Creator does is we forward that up to a artificial uh, intelligence sort of machine learning system that takes that unstructured data. It could be just text data, it could be a spreadsheet, it could be a PDF file, and it turns it into a, it takes those capacities and turns them into structured data that then automatically matches up to your available load list. So I'm sending, we're also sending the available load list up and says, okay, oh, now I got a truck in Dallas, I've got an available load in Dallas, I could go ahead and match the, that capacity to that load. Where in the past, that truck might never have gotten acted on. So now I can be first to act on that capacity in the marketplace and and give him back feedback, say, yep, I got your truck in Dallas. Here's two loads, three loads, however many loads you have. Um, and so now you've incentivized the carrier to go, hey, I sent him something. I got something back. So now, right, right. right, as opposed to I sent him an email and he nobody knows what happened. Know what, what That's really happened cool. Does it just does it just look at the emails? It does. Okay. So it, it takes all those emails and and 
un, you know, unbundles them, so to speak, and each of the capacities that's in that email then turns into a record that you can act on. Oh, wow. And that's, and that's built into the existing McLeod platform? It, it actually is, um, is it a platform that is a web-based platform, oh. and we're working with a group. Uh, it's powered by Parade AI. Parade.ai. So it's a a group out of uh, California that we worked with to help build the the back-end engine of that. And so is the AI part of it, like the the machine learning um, aspect of Capacity Creator, is that just about sort of recognizing the data in the emails and then like like you have a training set of like a bunch of emails that, that come in and it sort of learns like what these emails from carriers look like? And manage it that way, or are we talking about like actual like recommendations that um, the application makes so, to, to brokers? So what happens is it, if if it can automatically do it, you know, if, if they get the data and they, it just passes, then everything's great. But it, they also have a process that says, oh, we weren't able to unpack this information. Let me go ahead and create some rules, and so it, it refines it over time, and that could be a person on their end. So. A lot of times you might also still have a human yeah, touching saying, yeah. oh, they sent us a, a one, two, three, and that means van right, for whatever right, reason. Right, but right. Um, but, so, it, but you, you, you sort of add that metadata as it comes in, and add the rules, and then it, it right. knows and then it learns. That's right. Uh, but we are also sending um, previous history to say, okay, here's the types of loads that these carriers have done in the past as well. So not only are you trying to match up the available capacity, but you might also be looking at historical capacity. Oh, wow. Uh, so it actually, like, learns about your business right. as well. That's cool. Yeah. So you know, I mean, the, the other part is that while they might send you a truck that's in Dallas, you don't really know, they don't really tell you where they want it to go. Right, right. So, so now you have to factor in not only does it match my origin, but is it also going in the direction they want to go? because um, maybe they want to go back to their terminal, right? They're, they've got a truck in Dallas and they're based in Atlanta. They'd probably prefer to go toward Atlanta than go toward Los Angeles. And so um, Capacity Creator will sort of like look at a couple of available trucks and sort of like fr- from this business's history, we think that this truck would rather go to Dallas than this truck. And so we're going to match it with this particular load. That's right. Yeah. Robert, that's really cool. Um, <laughs> this sounds like yeah. an incredible product. I think it'll save brokers a ton of labor costs and make things you know, seemingly you know, a lot oh, more yeah. efficient. Consolidate the information and put yeah. it into yeah. a... It just helps them cover easy. more loads quickly. Yeah, that's nice. Well, I think we are at, like, what, four minutes and 50 seconds? So congratulations. <laughs> oh, you beat the you clock. <laughs> and, yeah, you win five good minutes. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks for Appreciate having me. Yeah, so thank on. you. And that'll do it for the big stories this week. As always, we go into more detail about each of the topics we've talked about today on our website, FreightWaves.com. We will continue to publish this podcast weekly, so be sure to subscribe to What the Truck on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Also, make sure to leave us a review to let us know what you think of our new podcast. And if you're interested in freight economics and finance, come to our Market Waves Conference at the Gaylord Texan Resort and Convention Center in Grapevine, Texas, this November. Visit marketwaves18.com to learn more about this event. That'll do it for today. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you next week on What What the the truck. Truck.